as well. But right now, I'm joined by Dr. Phil Ferguson and John Moore. Good morning, chips. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, how are we today? Very good. Hello. Nice day. Yeah, it's a lovely day. It's been a lovely week. Nice day week. for politics. Oh, yes. <laughs> every week's a nice. Uh, every day is a nice day for politics. <laughs> Let us begin with the King Queen Maker, uh, Winston Peters. One more day till special votes are counted. Mm. Uh, so one would imagine maybe only you know less than a week to go before we find out who is going to form the next government. Yeah. Um, but is it me? Or are we the most impatient nation on the face of the earth? Um, you know, oh, he's holding us to ransom. Hurry up. The nation's hurting. Yeah, we can't go on like this. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's driving me nuts. And uh, um, thank God that these people don't live in Germany. That's all I have to say about the thing. Yes, or any particular um, European state with a proportional system. So, yeah, certainly the media are showing a high level of impatience. And um, I would argue that's completely unfair this is the system we've got, this is the system that's been voted in mm. uh, uh, a mixed member proportional system means that it's it's very unlikely that any one party is going to be able to govern on its own so uh, a leading party needs some form of support from a, a minor party yeah. and, and that's just the way things have to play out under the system um, Wisdom Peters has given himself I think just uh, yeah, less than a week to um, make a decision over um, who they would support uh, mm. forming a government or who they wouldn't support um, that's a very short time frame quite bizarrely actually so there's lots of speculation of why Winston Peters might be giving himself such a short time frame um, but yeah nonetheless uh, if we have a government in a week's time that's um, yeah it shows you that MMP is able to deliver governments in a very short time frame yeah, I, I find it. I, yeah, it's, it almost feels like mischief making on the part of the media. I think so. Mm. I think so. What are your thoughts? A beat up. Yeah, well, Germany, what, three months? Yeah, three um, months. Yeah, um, Ireland it has a single, the south of Ireland has a single transferable vote, and it's, you know, it can take a month, more, six weeks, whatever, to form a government there. Um, and nobody bats an eyelid about it. It's very odd that people, anybody expects it's going to happen really quickly here. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, very strange. Well, yeah, and you know, what is what is the rush really? Um, you know, the government's still doing its job. When would they have been signed in anyway? It's not yeah. like... You know, yeah, you even under the first past the post, there's a period where, yeah. where the, uh, say, uh, if National had lost under a first past the post system, it still carry, carries on as a caretaker government for a week or two, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and even that's quite quick. I mean, you look yeah. at the states, you know, they have their elections in November, and then, you know, you're not signed until January. January. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's two months. Yeah. It's it, a, I think it also represents a kind of misapprehension about what the government actually does. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, what, do they think they sit around all day? day micromanaging yeah, yeah. New Zealand society or something you know the society ticks along yeah, quite well. Yeah, yeah. We haven't seen the farmers not get up at six a.m. Yeah. We haven't seen the share prices drop. We haven't yeah. seen you know everyone in, in a state of panic. The world's not on fire, yeah. but everybody's just losing their shit. Um, right. When it comes down to it, I, how much do you think the, the Nats and Labor are willing to give up or give to to Winston? Uh, you know, is it rule at, at all cost? Um, and, and which one would give up more? You know, is, is National likely to give him uh, more than Labor, or is the other way around, um, you know, a Labour that desperate to get in, uh, are the Nats that desperate to hold on to it? Yeah, that's a very good 
question. Um, uh, my gut feeling is, is that National will be prepared to give more to New Zealand Affairs for Labour. I think for one reason it's because uh, there's a perception, I think it's a false perception, but there's a perception that uh, Labour is a, is a party of tax and spend. And uh, they've been trying to counter that narrative for quite a while now. And certainly the budget budgetary ad- advisory rules that they've signed up to on the Greens actually restrict them quite severely in terms of uh, government spending and um, taxation, etc. So they definitely want to portray an image that they're very prudent, that they're, mm. they're sensible managers of New Zealand's capitalist economy, with national, um, uh, rightly or wrongly, is more seen as the business orientated, more slightly more free market type party. So in, in an ironic sense, it can actually get away with spending more because it doesn't have that that ideological baggage that that Labour has. Yeah. And we've seen that with the the key government that um, you know operated under a deficit, uh, um, borrowed during a time of recession, uh, did did increase spending in areas such as welfare, um, etc. etc. But it was never attacked ideologically as a party of tax and spend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why aren't we seeing the Greens in coalition talks as well with Winston? Do you think, Phil? You know, I mean, obviously, if they're going to work with if, if Winston's going to work with Labour, he's going to have to work with the Greens as well. Yeah, the loathing between the Greens and New Zealand First is kind of odd because they've got a lot in common. Mm. You know, they're both very economically nationalist. Um, and it's not like New Zealand First is anti-environmental. You know, and you've got people like Ron Marks, who's like the super environment, you know, on a personal level, like probably possibly the most environmentally sort of manic person in the entire country. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a strange thing. Um, and also, even until recently, their policy, you know, they're both anti-immigration, although the Greens have, have become a bit more progressive on the immigration question recently. Um so I'm not quite sure what the source of, of the loathing there is. Um, the only difference that I can see is that Winston Peters is more in favour of what you might call traditional industry yeah. and traditional industrial jobs um, in places like Northland and, and other you know, deprived areas of New Zealand, whereas for the Greens it's all about environmentally friendly Industry and you know high tech um, tech jobs and green jobs and yeah, so on. Yeah. But that's the only really significant difference that I can see. I guess um, uh, New Zealand First appeal to rural voters and provincial mm. voters um, uh, brings in a difference as well. In that, uh, so, so New Zealand First is, is, is strongly against um, uh, taxing water or, yeah. or mm. putting a price on water for farmers, uh, and, and almost is, is trying to present itself as as the party of uh, rural people and of farmers, replacing national's traditional role as that as that party. So that definitely puts them uh, at loggerheads with the Greens. But yeah, I agree with Phil. There, there's a lot of similarity as well between the two parties, and I'm sure they could actually work together. Yeah. Well, I mean, are, are, are we a nation of dreamers? Are we going down the same rabbit hole as the States did when Trump was going on about coal, an industry that really can't come back and has been more automated now than ever before anyway, so those jobs will never reappear? If Winston's talking about industry, <coughs> you know, you can't, surely we, uh, that's a losing battle. You can't save those big industrial jobs anymore, uh, not in a world of free market economics. Probably not, but there are things you can do like um, the vast bulk of lot of um, 
logs that are exported from mm. New Zealand, you know, they are untreated. They're, they're just, it's just logs. Log, you know, yeah. They've just felled trees and stripped the branches off them and exported them rather than having uh, an industry which actually makes products out of those and exports them and makes a lot more money from them. So I think he's on to something there, yeah. um, you know, especially somewhere like, like Northland. Um, but I think yeah, you're probably right about an industry like coal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I guess New Zealand's got to start looking at that high-end product, like yeah. like sword timber and um, and um, the likes with with our milk. Um, you know, we're going to stop just looking at raw milk powder and start looking yeah. at organics and things like that. Yeah. But I remember back in primary school, I mean, being told by teachers that New Ze- this is back in the seventies that New Zealand needs to diversify its economy, etc. Uh, and <laughs> maybe high school rather than primary school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, mate. I'm talking about the fifties. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I think uh, governments use that rhetoric all the time, but it's, it's never really happened. No. Uh, and um, um, it is impossible. It is possible for modern. Uh, post-industrial economy to, to produce high-end products. We look at Germany and Germany still has a, a large manufacturing base but it, it means that you governments have to put a lot of investment into education uh, into uh, supporting uh, start-ups etc etc. Mm. Um, and, and New Zealand's um, yeah, in the position where it can just rely on pumping out raw products or, or limited processing of those products like turning uh, milk into milk powder or baby yeah. powder but it, it's yeah, so um, it's a curse for New Zealand in a way that it, it, it is so highly efficient in terms of agriculture and now you've got a huge boost with tourism because uh, no government has to be particularly serious about diversifying the economy. Yeah, well, yeah. We're right at the bottom in terms of our money spent, funds spent on research and development. Yeah. We're right at the bottom of yeah. the OECD in terms of as a percentage of GDP. And it's been a big problem for me because National stripped a lot of that money away as yeah. well. I mean, mm. they've come in and taken more money away from R&D yeah. um, and, and, and we have to look at diversifying the economy. I mean, we talk about it a lot but g- green tech is, is the future. You know, there's no, there's no two ways about it. The more se- the more shit we pump into the atmosphere, <laughs> the more um, you know, the more need there is going to be for that eventually in the future. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like New Zealand firms, taken across the board, the expenditure on R and D is really really small. Yeah, and most R and D is carried out in the state sector, either through Crown Enterprises, which are profit making. Yeah. Oh, sorry, which are. Um, yeah, different from um, SOEs that they don't have to make profits and um, in universities and yeah. so on. So the private sector is not very interested in spending a lot of money on R&D and I think the reason for that is that um, especially after the ECA they're just relying on making workers work harder, faster, longer and making more profit that way rather than putting a lot of investment in new plant machinery research and development yeah and trying to increase productivity that way even but even now uh, the money that is coming into universities a lot of that is coming from overseas yeah uh, and then they're owning the patent rights and, yeah. and a lot like that so we'll, we'll, we'll come up with the innovation but then yeah. the profits going somewhere else yeah. and, and that's a sad state of affairs indeed but you've got great companies like scott technology here that are doing good things in the in, in the meat industry but then again it's taking away jobs at the same time so i mean it's a uh, double-edged sword really isn't it um 
All right, so uh, the specials, of course, um, hopefully we're going to find out the numbers tomorrow. I mean, how much weight do they really carry in this discussion? Uh, we're talking about potentially 50% of the vote. So um, if we go on the last election, there seems to be, uh, the specials seem to weigh in the Greens and Labour's favour, for yeah. whatever reason. So we might see um, the, the opposition in terms of the Greens and Labour get one or two more seats, and that would make a, a big difference. That yeah. would mean that a... a, a Labour-led government is a lot more viable. It's possible at the moment. 54 versus 56 in, yeah. in that scenario. Yeah, so New Zealand First might be more open to the possibility of supporting a Labour-led government when it's not just reliant on, on one extra seat mm. uh, under the current scenario. Um, but the whole issue to do with specials, yeah, it's arguably um, that the system's very inefficient and in how, how it's carried out and that it's taken so long to count those specials. The specials are different to um, early votes. Yeah. So early votes were counted right away, but special votes, part of the reason they take so long is that because of overseas votes, yeah. which then have to be sent back to New Zealand and then from um, Wellington sent to individual electorates to be counted. Yeah. And then there could be problems, is the person's name on the roll? If it's not, then it's needs to be double-checked from Wellington. So th this is the whole reason why those special votes are being held up. But as uh, former Cabinet Minister Michael Cullen said, um, why can't these votes just be counted overseas and then, and then those yeah. numbers delivered to those individual electorates? Yeah. Um, there's no reason why it has to take this long. Yeah, and plus, I mean, I guess, I guess a lot of people were signing up at the same time as voting as well, and then they've got that's good, they're going to be put into the system, and that can take some time. Got to yeah, so, uh, yeah, so uh, especially young people who might have uh, uh, enrolled um, um, to vote, you mm -hmm. know, just a couple of days before the election, that they actually end up being um, designated as special votes as well. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much top's going to spoil that party this time round. Uh, in, the spe in terms uh, of the specials, yeah. I, I kind of doubt it very much because if you think that a load of those specials are overseas votes, and so there's lots of, of you know people in their twenties who are doing their OE, their OEs, and the, you know they're living in London or while well, these are days they're increasingly living in the states and Japan and China as well, hmm. and so young people disproportionately vote green yeah and so that's why the green votes likely to go up and then of course there's um well the other place of course is australia so there's loads of young new zealanders in australia and loads of working class yeah people who couldn't get decent jobs here have gone to australia and who are probably a bit more likely to vote labor than national and, and they won't have a connection to top either because they wouldn't have been not, here no, when top right. was, was, was running. Yeah, so top would just be meaningless. To yeah, them. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and unless they're you know streaming buddy the one news every night, they yeah. have no idea what the hell's going yeah, on yeah. essentially uh, at all. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so do you think MMP, you know, are are we doing it right? Um, you know, and is it reasonable to say that the public still doesn't get it? Um, well, you'd think that the media doesn't really get it, <laughs> especially when they're declaring National the winning party on election night. Yes, yeah. National had the most votes, but they didn't have 50% uh, of the vote. They couldn't form a government. Yeah. Uh, therefore, in a sense, no party is, is the winning party. I think, for me, it's actually uh, the political parties that are uh, causing problems with the system in terms of the pre-election period where parties are very vague about who they'll work with and who they won't work with and I think uh, yeah that's um, unfair to the public uh, it, it goes against the whole democratic spirit that uh, of elections that, that 
yes, parties stand on a platform, they say these are our policies, but they don't present bottom lines, and um, so everything's up for negotiation during the post-election period, and we, we, for a lot of the parties, we don't have a clear indication of who they'll work with, who they won't work with, which is quite different to the German system. In the German yeah. system, um, parties make it a lot more clear uh, who they'll work with, who they won't work with, so the electorate has a, a better vision of what forms a coalition could come out in a post-election period. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the deficit with our how MMP operates in New Zealand, yeah. but it's not, it, it doesn't have to operate that way. Mm. Uh, and I think, in my view, the media and the public should be a lot more demanding of political parties. Yeah. So well, everyone's having a problem with the Greens, Phil, but really the Greens are doing it right. They've declared who they will go for and who they wouldn't go with. Uh, well, in that sense, um, yes, absolutely. I'm not necessarily so kind of keen on people declaring at the start who they're going to go for. I think if you're a minor party, it makes a lot of sense to leave your options open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think next time around, the Greens might well leave their options open more than what they did this time. And I think given the way that Labour threw materia <laughs> to right yeah. under the bus that the Greens... You know, some of the Greens are probably regretting that they made that made that deal with with Labour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so shouldn't parties have bottom lines, don't you think, Phil? Because, uh, like, yeah. the Greens have these, and Labour have these very grand visions of ending poverty, um, of, yeah. of um, cleaning up New Zealand's rivers, of being a leader in uh, fighting um, climate change. But, but none of these policies are bottom line. So, um, yeah. uh, for example, um, I follow uh, Mara Ma Davidson, the uh, Green MP on social media, and I asked her the question on social media, mm. um, OK, a, a lot of your policies on a limit on eliminating uh, child poverty are good and sound, you know, increasing benefits by 20% would make a real difference, uh, and your party is committed to ending child poverty, but is this the bottom line? Would, <laughs> would you refuse to support, um, say, Labour or uh, or any government if they if they didn't implement those type of policies? She said, no, there are no bottom lines, because that would cut us out from government. Hmm. So it almost makes policies meaningless if you're prepared to throw any of them away to get a, a bit of power, in yeah. my but view. Exa- exactly, but that's the way, that's how the system works, isn't it? And so that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I don't bother voting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not that, you know, they're never, ever going to have much in the way of bottom lines. Yeah. They might have bottom lines that, you know, affect, like... Which party is going to have prime minister? Or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll have bottom lines in relation to themselves, but they're not going to have bottom lines about poverty or that because none of the existing, you know, all the existing parties just want to manage the system in somewhere in their thick skulls. They know that they can't really have bottom lines. Yeah, and that's what I think is the the reason that parliamentary politics is good for you if you want to make a career and. You know, have a possibly have a job for life and and have all these perks and all the rest of it. But if you want to make a real difference in changing society, you're not going to do it through becoming an MP. It, I mean, it seems like they're playing games and playing compromise with people's lives there, especially when oh, it comes absolutely. to child poverty, absolutely. and especially when it comes to mental health. It's like absolutely again, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. If, you know, if you, and if you, but if you're not willing to make those a bottom line and then not go into government, and you're willing to compromise with those people's lives, then once again, what are you really doing there? 
Mm. Like you said. And the bottom, the bottom line thing is also completely false because the whole reason that we have MMP is because back in the 80s and early 90s, parties said they had bottom lines and they turned out not to have bottom lines to get into power. Would, and oh, is that what we said? Oh, well, you know, th- something's changed. You know, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the absolute opposite to what we said we'd do. So bottom lines don't really work either. And like I say, that's the whole problem with parliamentary politics. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it is a charade. So it's up to the minor parties, in a way, to keep the bigger parties honest, to keep to their promises, in a way. Well, I think the ideal would be if there was a party that actually re- emerged that represented workers and... You know, and did have some some bottom lines, and it forced National and Labor together, the way the first Labor Party originally forced the Liberals, the Liberals and, and the Reform, Reform Party. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because you know, in Germany they have a grand coalition, and the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats stop pretend the pretense that they have fundamental differences, mm-hmm. and Labour and National should stop the pretense that they have fundamental differences. And I mean, when the alliance was in existence, it almost forced them together. If it had have grown much more, it probably, it quite possibly, would have forced Labour and National together. Okay, interesting, interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, well, uh, we are in those final phases, those final few days. Um, anyone willing to make a bet? <laughs> uh, I think it will... Um my gut feeling is that uh, uh, if Winston Peters is to choose a party support to take government, he'll choose Labour. Because I think um, if, he, if he wants to be left with a legacy, I think uh, in terms of his nationalistic policies, uh, in terms of cutting down immigration, uh, cutting down foreign um, investment in New Zealand, in terms of foreigners not being able to buy land, etc., then Labour are more likely, and the Greens are more likely, to del- deliver for um, Winston Peters. Whether that means a formal coalition is open to question. So um, um, Winston Peters could end up supporting a Labour-led government by just voting on confidence and supply or agreeing to abstain on confidence and supply votes, which um, would still allow Labour to uh, govern. But the media seems to almost presume that he will tend to go with national. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are a lot of calls for him to sit outside. Yeah, so he could sit on, sit on the cross benches as well. That's an option uh, um, where he, uh, again, would uh, abstain on confidence and supply votes and, and just support the government on a, a case-by-case basis. on poli- And, yeah, he could actually get a, a huge amount of policy concessions on that basis. Mm-hmm. What about you, Phil? Well, I don't know. He wouldn't be able to abstain on supply and confidence, though, would he? Because you can constitutionally. No, but I mean, if he did, wouldn't that? Oh no, it wouldn't bring down the government because Labor and the Greens still haven't got as many as National. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking if he did that, that would be the end of the government. Um, yeah, he he could, could do that. I just I tend to think he's more likely to go. With national, mm-hmm. but then I thought I didn't think Donald Trump would get the Republican presidential nomination. I'm a bit reluctant. <laughs> yeah, but the reason that I think he'll go that way is partly historical. In the past, he's always said he would go with the party with that got the largest number of seats, and he kept to that in '96. He went with National, and in 2005 he went with Labour. 
and yeah. you know that 2005 was very very close much much more closer but, than this you know yeah 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 and then the problem with the Labour Greens New Zealand First is it's a bit messy and I think he might be thinking that National is actually less likely to screw him over than, than Labour <laughs> they're so treacherous yeah 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 um, and it would just make him more comfortable. For, but I think he does want to get stuff passed because this is probably, you know, he's he's in the twilight of his mm. his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah He's exactly. going to stay on and be the octogenarian in Parliament. Free sports, unfortunately. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it, New Zealand. Free sports. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, chaps, for coming in. Always a pleasure. See you Thanks, again guys. next week. And we'll know, probably... Yeah. Who's in yeah, power? Yes. In power. <laughs> yeah, we can scrutinise. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's uh, up next news.